Today's episode is presented by Yelp. Yelp's mission is to connect people with great local businesses. They also offer great solutions for restaurants looking to streamline their front of house and increase sales. Millions of diners are already using Yelp, and these products are a great way to capitalize on that network. Head over to restaurants.yelp.com forward slash full comp to claim your free page and learn more about these powerful tools for your business. Now here we go. When you're as niche as we are, it's very easy to want to get sucked into changing things. I just always remind my team, hey, we got to remember that if we do what we do really well and consistent, customers will continue to come back. Welcome to Full Comp, a show offering insight into the hospitality industry, featuring restaurateurs, thought leaders, and innovators, served up on the house. Are you ready to level up? The Pineapple Post is launched, and I'd like for you to be a part of it. It's a newsletter for people like you, people who want to learn and improve. It's delivered every Sunday and packed with stories, videos, and audio content from the brightest minds in our industry. We're covering the latest news, innovations, and trends to inform and inspire the way you do business. When you're serious about your work and you're ready to take it to the next level, the Pineapple Post is here to help. Sign up at pineapplepost.news. I hope you'll check it out. Empire building has become the standard in our industry. Why have one restaurant when you can have a hundred? This ambition, paired with debt financing, has led to the collapse of our industry. Many of us grew too big, too fast. Enter Tyler Wilson. Tyler has spent the last decade growing from one location to two, but without incurring one penny of debt. Wins and losses are financed from the profits of the business, not debt from outside investment. In this episode, we dig into the pros and cons of a debt-free restaurant model. So I kind of knew from an early age that I would need to chart my own direction. I never planned on going to get a job, if that makes sense. Never thought about it, never wanted to. I did during construction, go get a busing job. It took me six months to get a job, but Mm -hmm. there weren't a whole lot of any jobs, but nobody wanted to hire and I was trying everything. So good thing I didn't need to get a job at that point (laughs) because I wasn't getting one. And once the restaurant opened, I had plenty of jobs. So it's 2008. We're in the middle of a huge crash. And you've decided that your million dollar idea is a gourmet hot dog shop in the middle of a highly industrialized area of downtown LA with, by my recollection, no foot traffic. Was that the plan? I mean, we refer to them as sausages, but all in short, that was the exact plan. And so what planning went into that? Why that area? Why that cuisine? So when we very, very first thought of, and we being Joseph Petruzzelli, who's my partner, when we set out, we were looking to do just a bar. We didn't want anything to do with food. And at the time, the city of LA wanted nothing to do with bars. They told us flat out, we will never give you a license for a bar. And if you'd looked at the landscape of downtown LA at the time, that was kind of true because there weren't really any bars. I think Golden Gopher and maybe Broadway Bar were the only Mm -hmm. bars at the time that anybody really paid attention to. And we believed them. And as we all know today, downtown LA has 
probably 400 bars, right. but we believed them. And we didn't push forward as a bar. And we were like, man, what could we do that would complement a bar very well? And this idea of doing sausages better than anybody else. We could all think of great places that we've had sausages over the years, but very rarely, or we couldn't think of any or find any to make them the best you can make them and provide an experience around that, opposed to just walking up, grabbing a sausage or hot dog and leaving. We knew that people loved sausages because you can see them all over the streets of New York or any city for that matter. Think of places like Top Dog that are just packed, but there's no experience associated with them and they're not necessarily the highest quality. So we thought, man, there might be an opportunity here to really be niche and focus. And that quickly evolved into, wait, Germans are known for sausage. Let's take this niche a little further and focus on German and Belgian beers with sausage. And so from conception to opening, how long did it take you guys to carve out the concept, name it, brand it, find someone? I'm assuming that someone else handled the food program, yeah? No, I oversaw the food program. And at the time when we first opened, we never anticipated being sausage makers. We wanted to find the best sausages out there and represent those sausages. That's changed since then, primarily to protect our space. And we wanted to raise the quality at most times. And we couldn't do that as easily until we became sausage makers. But at the time, we had about 15 different people making sausages for us. And that was a nightmare of its own to try and manage all of these sausage makers and lead times and this, that, or the other, because we were doubling in size almost monthly. So I managed the food program, found the baker. At the time, we used Homeboy Industries. We opened uh -huh. Homeboy Industries as our baker. And that was a lot of fun, but had a huge amount of challenges as well. And ultimately, we didn't scale as we grew with them. It didn't make sense for either of us. The idea was to keep the whole food program simple while the quality as high as we can. How active were you in the day-to-day -day operations initially? If we were open, I was there for probably the first three or four years. Really? That's a lot. Yeah. I love those days, but I don't miss those days. Thankfully, we've grown and we have a really great leadership team. And it allows to go raise a family and be involved in other things within the community outside of just being in the restaurant. Although that is still my favorite place to be. You don't hear a lot of that in the industry, though, that in opening this restaurant and opening multiple locations that actually afforded you the ability to have a family and to spend time with them. How were you able to create that balance? Yeah. So it ebbs and flows for sure. We're still a small, very small company. I mean, we only have two locations and they're both busy. And at the moment, it's a different story. But historically, I'm in each store two to three times a week. I involved with the staff. I'm not managing people day to day. And the key is to have that separation and have some really strong managers in place. Obviously, you can't just let your managers go entirely when you have such a specific concept or very strong identity that you want to stick to. When you're as niche as we are, it's very easy to want to get sucked into changing things. I just always remind my team, hey, we got to remember that if we do what we do really well and consistent, customers will thank us and continue to come back. 
if we try to change things too often, you're going to lose some customers. And if you lose a customer, that's obviously a sad thing. People sometimes ask why we don't add new dipping sauces or something like this. And I'm like, well, people love our dipping sauces. And because they haven't changed in 12 years, if we take one off, there's going to be a whole bunch of customers that are really disappointed with us. And In-N-Out, I mean, I love In-N-Out. Most people love In-N-Out. They haven't done anything different since they opened. And you got to give kudos to being consistent and delicious. How far into the process were you when you decided to expand? So 2008, we opened the downtown LA store. We opened Venice in 2012. And I would say it was about two years in where we felt like we had enough headroom and confidence that we could open another store. And thought Venice would be a great fit for that. What was the process of finding that second location? Because it obviously took a while to get there. It did take a while. So there's a few kind of core principles that we've grown on. And one of them is Joseph and I are the only partners and we want to be a debt-free business. And there's a lot of freedom in that. And then there's just patience. And with that patience, you got to save up we had to save for that second location. I'd probably say we had four to six people a week calling us and wanting to invest and wanting to grow. And we could open 20 of these and we'll give you the money and this, that, or the other. And we felt that that wasn't the path and the way that we wanted to grow or that we thought would be a healthy way to grow. Obviously, you could argue that 10 times, but for us, that's really what we valued. So we saved up and opened the second location. So let's jump to 2013, I think is a good year. And the way that you've got two locations open, they're both doing really well. What did you learn from those successes that other people could replicate? What was it that you did right? I remember the things I do wrong a lot better, unfortunately. As far as doing things right, well, growing slow, staying consistent to our brand and growing slow. We invested a lot of time into making sure that our fries were delicious all the time, tracking our potatoes all the way back to finding farmers that can provide us consistent potatoes year-round. And as simple as that may sound when we say it here, finding potatoes that have a consistent starch content or at least a managed starch content so that we can get fresh-cut potatoes that are delicious year-round is really hard. And I remember those first few years we would enter seasons where our potatoes would go into the fryer and come out black. And the sugar content just got too high and we could not find potatoes. But when you are a two-item restaurant and one of your products is basically unservable, you've got some serious problems on your hand. And we've spent a lot of time and energy sourcing and transitioning and Every year is a little different. And at this point, we got that stuff pretty well locked down. But that took years to figure out because you only get a few weeks to figure out the problem and then the problem's over, but you know you didn't do anything. Some of those types of things really plagued us at the beginning and not having a culinary background, I'm sure, hurt us. And we did a really great job with people. I also would say we did a terrible job with people. But at the time, we were a very small team. And Mm -hmm. a very tight team. Our turnover was extremely low. It was a very different employment environment then. And our first five or six years, we had just an amazing team of individuals that worked very hard, did an excellent job. 
and they built the company with us. And that was, I felt we did an excellent job with that team. How would you say you did a terrible job with people since you brought it up? Yeah, I mean, we've employed probably thousands of people over the last 12 years, including the Denver location that we slowly opened and quickly closed. (laughs) And managing people and leading people is never easy. And it sounds like you've done it. And I'm sure a lot of people that listen to this also do it. And sometimes it just goes really well. And you're able to find those right people that are right for your culture. And it just naturally works. And there's always a handful of people that make it extremely challenging. And we feel like we spend all of our time working with them, developing them, training them, and it just doesn't go anywhere. And you put so much energy into some people and it just doesn't work out. It's a bummer. When that happens, you're just reevaluating and on some levels trying to figure out how do I do this differently next time so I'm not wasting all this energy on people that ultimately leave for whatever reason. I mean, the last five years or three years in particularly, finding good people has been really hard. There has been a lot of restaurants that have opened and finding really strong people to add to your culture has been my full-time focus the last two years. Is that how you spend most of your time? Is focused on the team, growing the team, HR-related things? Yeah, everything is HR, I think. I mean, there's a huge amount of ops, but ops is driven by HR. When you have great people that you can train and do their job and execute perfection, everything works so well. And then it's the customer. But if your staff isn't executing and culture isn't right, you're just going to be running from one fire to the next. So we focus on our staff, bringing in great people. We only hire entry-level positions regardless of experience, which has a huge amount of value, but also is extremely expensive because you do get people that don't want to be in the industry or realize the industry is not for them. And you sometimes don't get people that quickly transition. When you need a bartender and you're hiring somebody that's never worked a bar, you have to have a lot of grace when it comes to getting people the natural and comfortability of being behind the bar. So that does take some time. You brought up the Denver location, which from the outside, it looks like a guaranteed success. Denver's a great market. You own the real estate and you have a great restaurant concept. Can you talk to me about what happened there? Yeah, I still believe that Denver could have been a great location for us. It was sad. It makes me sad to think about. We had problem after problem starting from day one. The contractor ultimately ended up, we were like the 50th person he had kind of duped and ultimately didn't go to jail, but the DA prosecuted him on a large case. So we were fools, but he was also a very good crook. So that was kind of big problem one, and that delayed our opening by about 18 months. We opened in January, and it started raining and snowing for three months. <laughs> and we weren't exactly ready for three months of raining and snowing. So all of our PR and press kind of fell on deaf ears, considering nobody was really going out. That being coupled with poor timing, Denver was opening a restaurant a day in 2015. The staffing challenges of finding good people in Denver after being delayed 18 months and the people that we moved to Denver ultimately just transitioning off because we were paying them, but they were just bored of doing nothing and followed by not being able to hire people. When I say not be able to hire people, I mean, we couldn't find anybody. And that was the internal problems. The external problems was we picked a location about 
two blocks away from where everything was happening. And the energy that was happening a few blocks away was where everybody wanted to go, where I wanted to be. And that was happened by mistake and a little bit of falling in love with a building. If you've been to our locations, we have two triangle brick buildings Mm -hmm. and they're identical. Well, if you had been to the Denver location, it was a triangle brick building. And when we saw this triangle brick building that was fully entitled, it was the exact same shape as our downtown location. So we felt it was meant to be and kind of didn't look past that. And we really should have taken some time to say, hey, where's the growth going to be over the next three years? And where's the energy? Nobody wants to be two blocks away from where everybody else wants to be. When you closed the business, did you sell the real estate? Yeah, we ultimately took some time, but we eventually sold the real estate. So. I've only leased. And so when a concept doesn't work and you walk away, you lose all of the TI that you put into it. In owning that real estate and being able to capitalize off the improvements that you made, did it help with the financial loss? So I use this example for people that may take up a lot of debt or a lot of partners. When we lost, that was the business. That was the operating company for the restaurant. And that took a big loss. Very big. It was pretty bad. But we were on a different side of the same group of people, but different entity. We were able to have a relatively good gain on the property. We look at them differently and handle them a little differently. But it's kind of a good thing to learn and everybody wants to own their own property. But the nice thing was we were able to take a loss financially in one component of our business from a tax standpoint and ultimately have some income from another portion of the business or a different business that kind of made those few years not so painful. And so ultimately, in terms of lessons learned, are you guys looking for another location now? I have started looking again. I had spent a lot of time following Denver, looking to grow. And after about three years of negotiations and competing, I mean, it was so hot from 2012, but really from 2015 to 2019, I mean, the competition to get a space just felt too intense. And people Mm -hmm. were paying, in my opinion, way too much for rent. Couple that with the new costs associated with employment on top of what managers are needing to be paid at this point, living in LA, it just felt like the balance was way off. And I would sit there wanting to grow, wanting to sign leases, but just couldn't stomach the size of these commitments with personal guarantees. And I'll tell you right now, I'm extremely grateful that we haven't grown. And part of that is growing when it is your own savings. The risk is really high. I believe in what we do so much that I don't really want to invest anywhere else. At the same time, it protects you from making maybe hasty decisions because it's somebody else's investment. It's hard to say. I don't think I'd treat other people's money any differently than mine, but it must do something psychologically because I couldn't make those commitments. And I'll tell you right now, I'm looking at new deals that it feels a little bit more natural now. Are you still looking at Denver or are you looking more in the Southern California area? I wish we could build the infrastructure and the size to grow. But I had two kids at the time and that was really hard. Or I just had a third when we opened Denver. And now I have four kids and flying around to go to work doesn't sound quite the same as it used to. And we are going to be growing in the Southern California market. 
I'm sure negatively, but how have you been impacted by the pandemic? What pivots have you made? How have you guys fared? Overall, I feel like we've navigated as well as we could. There was a few personnel decisions that I made over the pandemic that I probably should have done differently and we ultimately corrected. But for everybody, this was just hard decision after hard decision with not enough information. It was a guessing game to navigate through this. I remember us having conversations in March saying, ah, this will be good by April. And I'm sitting there like, I don't know if I actually believe that. This might last to the end of April or even into May. And here we are, (laughs) so still going. So we did not act quick enough at the beginning. It's so hard to say, unfortunately. It depends on how you want to look at it and what hat I put on. We spent a lot of money on managers that we probably should have furloughed very early on. Primarily, we thought we were going to come back quickly. And we were like, well, we can't, if we don't have a management team, how are we going to rebuild? I mean, if things open up next month, I can't hire managers and train them in two days. Like, it takes three months. So we have to hold on to these managers. Ultimately, putting managers in a position that they don't want to be, even though they're being well compensated, doesn't necessarily make for a strong culture or morale. And managing through morale during a pandemic was basically impossible because everybody was unsure of what was going on. And when you have a team that's just unsure, nervous, are they going to get sick? Are they not going to get sick? How sick are they going to get? And I don't have the answers. It's just trying to make it as great of an environment for them as possible was really tough. So there was a lot of hard conversations. I mean, we let go, I think, 87 people in March of 2020, really hoping that most of those people were going to be back on our team. So kind of the weird thing of the pandemic, and I'm sure everybody's seen this, most of our team left the state. When we started calling people when we were rehiring, they're like, "Ah, I'm not back. Uh, I don't know when I'm coming back. And then we were also facing as patio dining became open. And this is one of the kind of things I thought we did really well is we never actually fully closed operations. We scaled back to very low operations but we at least kept the gears moving. That allowed us to scale back into what was a few days of indoor dining and then a lot of patio dining. And we also pivoted really well into quickly building a beer garden. That was one of those decisions that helped us basically survive this year. We got very busy very fast. And we had three or four months there during the summer that were a lot of fun. Our team was tiny. We could not compete with the unemployment money. So it was mostly managers and a handful of really strong, committed team members that got us through those three or four months. And it felt like a new store opening for both locations during those few months we were open. So I would say we fared okay, but it was scratching. We were scratching hard and we made it. We're here. We're not going to go anywhere. And I'm proud of the team. One of the fun things we did do and I took on and I'm still kind of running with, which is we've started selling our sausages in three packs at farmer's markets. And I was shipping them and I'm shipping them again. UPS kind of fell apart during the middle of the year pretty bad. So I was returning more sausages than I was selling. Mm -hmm. But now that UPS is back on track, we are selling our sausages throughout California. I haven't started shipping them across the states, but we do have our sausages on our website to ship. That's what I was going to ask. So obviously, I have these conversations a lot. And everyone talks about leaning out operations, streamlining, 
new revenue streams. This was also a period of intense education and innovation. Has that been your experience as well? Yeah. We're operating with half of the management staff we used to, and I don't see that changing. We've added in a lot of technology, better utilize the technology that we have, and gotten rid of whatever extra systems we had in place and bolstered up the systems we already had to be less manpower driven. Obviously, with also in the kitchen, we bought a lot of tools, very expensive tools, but very effective tools to make things go faster with less people. So that's on the kind of operation side. But then on the new revenue stream side, a lot of it isn't big enough to say it's worthwhile yet. It kept me busy to sell sausages and it keeps the brand out there and it does introduce the brand to new people. You really have to scale that stuff pretty big before it makes sense. And shipping is so expensive when you got frozen product. It doesn't quite pencil for customers that don't really have the time to drive down to the restaurant and grab it. It does cost a few bucks to ship it and we can't eat those costs. But it was fun and we are still doing it. And I do want to expand to the farmer's market side of the business as that seems to be really striking a chord with customers, particularly customers that aren't wanting to go out to restaurants. Maybe ever they're able to get our product. So when you look at the future, what does the future look like for you personally? And what does it look like for the brand? I see us opening stores from San Diego all the way through Santa Barbara and growing out the brand in the region, hopefully relatively strongly over the coming years. And for me personally, continue to run a great company that's doing its best it can each day. It's an industry podcast. And at the end of every episode, I like to give the guests an opportunity to speak directly to the audience. Do you have any advice or words of encouragement you'd like to share? So restaurants are an amazing business and they're a lot of fun. But if you haven't worked in a restaurant or don't know much about restaurants, they're exhausting. (laughs) And this pandemic has exhausted and unfortunately shrank our industry. So make sure that if you're going to jump into the industry that you're excited to put in the hours. And the flip side is I think there's a whole bunch of new opportunities that are going to come in the coming years for the next round of entrepreneurs within the food industry. And there's going to be a lot of spaces available. That's Tyler Wilson. For more on his restaurant, go to worstkoosh.com. If you want to tell us your story, hear previous episodes, check out our other content or read our daily publication, go to fullcomp.media. Thank you so much for listening to the show. You can subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. While you're there, please leave us a review. A special thanks to Yelp for helping us spread the word to the whole hospitality community. I'm Josh Kopel. You've been listening to Full Comp.